everybody. It is good to be in Watford, uh, out in the countryside, compared to where I live anyway. <laughs> it's all relative. Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought, hmm? You have? Okay. That's a good start. You know? so, <laughs> and, uh, and thought, hmm, I would like to change what I see. Uh, you know, maybe you look in the mirror and you see a pimple there, or like uh, I got up this morning and I've had this skin condition for about three months now, and uh, it's been coming and going, and the jury is still out whether it's a eczema or psoriasis or a fungal infection, and try this ointment and try that, and and. Uh, Woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and it's like, oh, wow, it looks really bad. It's red and everything. And, and you think like, hmm, I wish I could do something about that. I wish I could change that. Or maybe you look in the mirror and think like, hmm, this hairline is receding rather fast. <laughs> now, now, the, now, the women don't have that problem. You know, when they look in the mirror, they just whip out some tools, some brushes and some tweezers and some... Uh, you know, some pots, <laughs> you know, some pots and tubes of powders and creams and things. And, you know, they don't mess around. They look in the mirror and they say, hmm, I don't like my eyebrows. And they just rip them out and paint on new ones. And they can change the shape and they can change the color. And, you know, it's like, isn't that wonderful? You know, if I was a woman, I would have looked in the mirror this morning like, what is all this red? Ah, no problem. I'll just cover it up with, uh, you know, with undercoat of skin tone 23B5 and, <laughs> you know, to match the rest of my face and uh, put some blush on to bring the redness back and I would walk into church and, and the brothers will say, bro, do we need to talk, you know? It's like uh, somehow I think our culture and society is not quite ready for that. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we all like transforming things that we think can be improved or should be improved, especially if it's someone else or something else. You know, you drive around and you think, you mutter to yourself, when is the council going to fix that pothole that's been around, been there for three days now? You know, can't they transform it, you know, or, or add some speed bumps to this road where everybody's driving so fast? We all like transformation. Uh, when we think it's something that, that improves us or improves life or improves the world or improves uh, people. God is like us and he likes transformation. And uh, we're going to look today at the story of uh, that uh, Tunde read as well in Acts 9, uh, the story of Paul or Saul, how Saul went from Saul to being Paul, <coughs> being transformed by God. Before we read that, you know, when we read a passage like this, there's actually so much we can get out of almost any passage in the Bible. There's so many perspectives on it. And, and reading Acts 1 to 19, the story of Saul, uh, there's so many lessons to learn. And what I thought is that it's actually helpful to view it from the perspective of the themes and the topics for the year. Because, you know, we're approaching that time of the year when resolutions start fading towards the end of January. You know, as the days count down to February, so the resolutions also count down and start weakening. <laughs> um, and really the only way to, to do that to, is to help us to remind ourselves of what they were. 
you know, these reminders are, are helpful if you refer, keep on referring back to them. I remember last year in the Northwest uh, region, our theme was by faith. And about three months into the year, I asked a congregation, I said, and what's our theme for the year? And I got these blank stares, like, an, oh, what is it again? <laughs> you know, if you don't keep on reminding ourselves, then we tend to forget things. So it was very helpful. Malcolm sent me these uh, two things, that in January, the overall focus is relationship with God and seeing God as truly awesome. So we have another week of uh, focusing on that, another 10, 11 days. And then for the year, the theme is, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So I thought to, when we read this uh, part of Acts 9, to keep that in mind and see if we read the scripture from that perspective and look at it through those eyes, what can we learn? What can we take out of it? So uh, turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read uh, from verse 1. So there are, uh, I'll come back to that just now. I'm going to read from the NIV. Acts 9 verse 1, meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, where the men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called, him, called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, <coughs> for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. <coughs> but the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained 
his strength. There's an amazing story of, of the transformation of Saul to Paul. Now, he's still called Saul for a while until a few chapters later on the island of Cyprus. His name is changed from Saul to Paul. Um, but this transformation was not just uh, giving him a new name. Uh, if we, we can briefly summarize the story, the same story actually appears three times in Acts. It's here in Acts 9, and then again in Acts 22, and then again in Acts 26. So what happened in this transformation? Uh, there's a nice little picture here. Do we have a, oh, no, that's not. Picture here of a, probably some kid's kingdom craft of, he went from angry Saul to surprised Saul, like, what's happened now, to happy Paul. <laughs> it's like, that is transformation. It's changing something from how it didn't look so nice before to something beautiful, uh, how it ends up. If we briefly summarize the story, what was Paul like before this transformation? Well, he was persecuting the Christians in Jerusalem. In fact, we read later uh, in another part of the Bible that in chapter 8 we read about Stephen getting stoned to death for being a Christian and for proclaiming the gospel. And who was standing there giving approval to this? Paul himself, or Saul at that stage. And they actually came and the clothes that they took off Stephen, they came and laid it at the feet of Saul. As, a, as like, almost like an offering, like, look, we, we, look what we did. Isn't that great? And that is what Saul was. He vowed to destroy Christianity and the Christians. And it wasn't even a passive thing. He hunted them down. He went from house to house. It's almost like, uh, like in the uh, Second World War, in the times of the Nazis, where <laughs> they went from house to house to try and find the Jews and then dragged them out of their houses to send them off to the, to the camps. That's what Saul did. Knocked on the houses, tried to find all the Christians, hunt them down, and then bring them before the Jewish council, get them uh, uh, convicted of blasphemy, because if you say Jesus is the Son of God, then that's the same <coughs> blasphemy that Jesus was crucified for and Saul was, uh, Stephen was stoned for. Hunt them down and basically destroy them, kill them. So probably after uh, going through all Jerusalem, finding who we can, Saul said, maybe heard some news about how much the church has grown in Damascus and Antioch, which is up north from Jerusalem in uh, modern-day Syria. So he decides, I'm going to hunt them down there as well. They think they can run from me, but I'll chase after them and go and hunt them down. And that is the heart and the mindset of Saul that goes on this road to Damascus. He's not a nice man. On this road, around midday, he saw this great light. And it says in, another, in one of these other versions, uh, and I'm going to combine these three versions in chapter 22 and 26 a bit, uh, that he saw this light brighter than the sun. I mean, this is midday. It's a beautiful day like today. Bright sunny sun. I mean, can anything be brighter than the sun we see out there? And Paul saw a light even brighter than that, so much that it blinded him. And he heard a voice that says, hey, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And the moment this voice said, it's Jesus, the question is always, did Paul 
ever meet Jesus? Did he ever know who Jesus was before this? And I've always asked myself the question. I've read a lot about it. It's like, hmm, there's no real evidence of it. But I suspect Paul was roughly the same age as Jesus. Paul was a rabbi in Jerusalem in the temple. I would not be surprised if he actually saw Jesus even as a 12-year-old in the temple teaching the asking all these questions and teaching the people. And every year when Jesus came to Jerusalem, uh, when he was for the Passover or when he was teaching in the temple, I suspect at some stage Saul must have been there. So when, when his voice spoke to him, I can just imagine thinking like, hang on, I know that voice. That's Jesus. It's like, no, that can't be. We crucified him. He's supposed to be dead. So maybe even if he recognized the voice, it's like, in, hang on, who are you? But he says, who are you, Lord? Immediately calls him Lord. And then the voice says, I, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Have you ever been persecuted for your faith? Have you ever shared your faith as a disciple, as a Christian, and or maybe even people just know you're a Christian and they give you a hard time, uh, or you know you, you actually actively share your faith and you get persecuted for it. If you have, it, it's, it feels like a very personal thing, like you are being attacked. Uh, I remember one day I was in in, uh, in North London many many years ago in the 90s. I was just walking down the street talking to people about the Bible and about God and about Jesus, and this one guy just got so angry. And he spat me in the face. And I was like, why did he do that? But it felt so, I felt so personally violated. And it's only later on that I realized that when Jesus said, when we are being persecuted, Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. When Christians are, be, Christians are being persecuted, Jesus feels that personally. It's like, it's not you, it's me. And he even said that in John. He said, you know, people can't hate you. Like, Jesus, how can you say people can't hate me? He says, no, they hate me. Jesus said they hate me. They can't hate you, they hate me. And if we think of it like that, when people don't like the message, they don't like the gospel, they don't want to be about God, they don't want to be about Jesus, when we feel like we've been being persecuted, it's actually Jesus being persecuted. And I think Saul realized, wow, this is the Jesus that I saw, and his resurrection is real. That is what must have convinced him, not just the light, but the fact that, like all the other apostles who ran away after the crucifixion, who were confused, who were wondering, what shall we do, who were convinced when they saw Jesus raised from the dead. Now, we, we live in an age where the Bible is our truth. And we teach our children those songs, you know, because the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, yes, I know, because the Bible tells me so. <coughs> and we think that we are Christians because of the Bible, because the Bible tells us so. And we think that, oh, those first Christians, you know, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Peter and... They all became Christians because the Bible told them so. They became Christians because they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And that must have been what convinced Saul as well. Like, in, 
this is the same Jesus that I saw preaching in the temple. The same Jesus that I saw whipping the money changers in the temple. He must have recognized him to be convinced and converted and transformed so quickly that he immediately said, what shall I do, Lord? So Saul said, what shall I do, Lord? <clears throat> and of course, Jesus says, get up, go into the city. You'll be told what you must do. So Saul gets up, but he's blind. So they had to lead him by the hand to Damascus. For three days, you're sitting there thinking, okay, what do I do now? He's just following instructions, not eating anything, not drinking anything, fasting until Ananias comes to him, lays his hands on him, and restores his sight. And then Saul is baptized, and in his baptism, his sins are washed away, as Ananias tells him, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the transformation of Paul. And then we read further on that, uh, <clears throat> of course, after this, Saul gets this great command, this, the great commission for himself, which is very similar to the commission for all the other apostles in Matthew 28, where it says, you will go and be my apostle. You will go and preach the, the gospel to the Gentiles and to my people, to the Jews all over the world. He gets the same commission. And Saul is so transformed that immediately gets up and he starts proclaiming the gospel. What an incredible transformation for someone killing Christians to someone converting people to be Christians. From someone who hated Christians to someone who now loves Christians. If we think about this story, <clears throat> let's get back to those theme questions. How do you see God as being truly awesome in this story? What do you think we can learn from the, about the character of God if you think about this conversion story of Paul, uh, the story of how he's really transformed from someone who's, who's evil and, uh, and, and a hating person to someone who's loving and proclaiming the love of God? Any thoughts? Yes, I think his compassion comes through that even <clears throat> our darkest hours of evil when he God still looks out for us as he draws us closer that even when yeah. we still bad, he still wants us to repent. So he's still pursuing us. Right. Yeah, God has compassion on the hold that sin has on us. And that's something that struck me as well when I read through this. It's like in God can look beyond where we are and what we are like and see us to what we can be. God has a vision for our lives that, that far exceeds anything that we can sometimes even imagine or think of. Great point. Thanks. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Yes.
Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. That God can do so much more than we can, that, than we sometimes think. So it's like, wow, he can change a murderer into a lover of people. That's amazing. Danny. It's the same vein, really. But I think that he understands. I think we hold ourselves back because of our past. But he, he really is a... His character is so amazing. Is that he, he sees that our past doesn't have to define our future. Yeah. So no matter what we think we've done, how, how it might hinder us in the future, he's, he doesn't count, count our sins against us. So it's in the past. And then we can yeah. just move forward. He doesn't want to almost remind us of it. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't lord it over us. He yeah. wants to become just new and move on. Yeah. That, that is amazing how God can, his, his capacity to forgive and wipe things away is just incredible. It's like, in, really, God, how can you, how can you put a murderer of Christians in the church? I can really? Imagine... You know, look to your left or to your right or behind you, you know. Imagine, I don't want to get personal here, but, you know, Leon, you look behind you and you look at Usagi and, like, Usagi was, you know, he's the guy that used to be a serial killer five years ago and, <laughs> and now you're sitting here next to him and you, you know, you break bread together and, you know, and... and <laughs> could have killed your friends even, your family. You could have killed your, your mother, your father, your brother, your, your, your children. Imagine that. That capacity that God has. <laughs> no, uh, for, the, for, for, for the record, I think this may be recorded for the record. Usagi is not a serial killer or killer of any kind. <laughs> not in his past, <laughs> as far as any of us know. <laughs> he is a sinner, though, like all of us. <laughs> But uh, you know, that's the amazing thing is that how God can overlook <coughs> whatever any of us did. And I think about my past, and I think I'm still ashamed of some of the sins I, I, I lived by and some of the sins I committed in my life. And I think, like, really, God? You really forgave that? Wow, that's amazing. There was another end, yes. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, God is awesome because his timing is so perfect. He knows. I mean, we, we can so easily ask, God, why did you wait so long? Why did he have to kill so many Christians before you intervened? But God knew when the right time was, when Paul would, Saul, Paul would actually respond to that intervention. That's a great point. So one more and then we'll move on. Yes, Lisa. Yeah. Like the fact that he recognized him, like, you know, God has that power to be, you know, just at the right time, make, make himself visible. You know, it's an incredible thing. Yeah. Um, just the power of God in that. Wow, that, that is something amazing. Where God is awesome. He's spirit, invisible, yet he, he chooses to make himself visible in all kinds of ways uh, to us. I think the more we think about it and contemplate, you can probably come up with more and more things 
where we see how awesome God actually is. The second thing uh, that we want to frame it by is our relationship with God, the second part of the January theme. Has anybody seen this painting before, it's this picture? Yeah. There was a time when it was fairly popular doing the rounds like these memes do on the internet and, and then you know, the fad comes and goes. Um, it's a great picture. It's the guy on our left is the stereotypical Jesus, <laughs> uh, just talking to a random guy in the park. This painting is called uh, Lost and Found by an artist called Greg Olson. And the young man here on the right, his name is Daniel. He, was, uh, he, was, he actually sat down and modeled for this painting. And he was a friend of, uh, a family friend of the painter, Greg Olson. And he, he painted this to commemorate Daniel uh, because Daniel died by suicide. And then he painted this and he wrote to, a, to go with this painting. He says, wherever we are in our journey, remember that the Lord is near. He may not force himself upon us, but simply wait for us to ask for his help. Unlike most of us who have difficulty seeing beyond the outward view of that person on the bench, Christ sees the soul, knows the heart, and remains the ultimate savior and friend. If you see this picture, if you are having suicidal thoughts or feelings, I want you to know two things. You are wanted and needed here on earth, and also you are not alone. You are never alone. Christ understands your pain and is always with you. And that's a beautiful picture of you know, the relationship that God seeks with us. What do you think we can learn about our relationship with God from the story of Paul, his transformation, of Saul's transformation to Paul? Yes. We're never too far gone. Yeah, I like that. You can always change. Yes, it's never too late. Sometimes we can feel like that. It's like, in, man, I've messed up so bad, I can just as well carry on because there's no hope for me anymore. Yeah, great point. Sorry. <laughs> okay. and our our <coughs> worthiness to God is not about what we've done. Yeah. Our worthiness to God is not about what we have done. God doesn't value us because of our deeds. Great point, yes. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing as well how God treats uh, souls compassion, uh, fire and uh, zeal, you know, in which he was persecuted in the church. I probably thought that was the right thing, but he was going to use that same fire in him to advance his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, that relationship can use the same characteristic, use for something negative, for something positive, for something good. Great point. Yes, Malcolm. Uh, I guess what I see in the passage is that 
Saul's relationship with God developed as he took action on what he was revealed for him to do. It wasn't all revealed at once. <coughs> Jesus didn't say, here I am, do this, do that, get baptized. It was, okay, step one and step two, and it developed as, as Saul went along with God's plan. Yeah. And I, I think that's true for me. It's, you know, the, more I, the more I take seriously what God is revealing me now, <coughs> somehow that, that seems to draw me closer to him. Yeah. I have to worry about the next step. That's a great point. Yeah, that, that point of relationship is about the journey together and walking the journey, not necessarily knowing what comes next. That's, that's a great point. I can relate to that very much <laughs> right now in my life. <laughs> great. Um, you know, I, think, yeah, there's, there's, I think there's so much we can learn about our own relationship. Uh, you know, just thinking about this picture, Jesus suddenly is visible for Saul, Jesus was there all the time watching him, knowing how he was persecuting him until he decided, okay, it's time to reveal myself. And in our relationship, we may feel the same sometimes. God, where are you? Jesus, where are you? But he is there all the time, actually, um, whether we are aware of it or not, whether we see it or not. And then uh, the theme for the year, we are being built, to, built together to become a dwelling. I think we've touched on this uh, already. Um, for the sake of time, I'm just going to maybe just comment on that. You know, I think if we look at the story of Paul, uh, we see how God is always building his church. And God adds to this building, this dwelling, the most unlikely character sometimes, the most unlikely people. It's like, What's he doing here? What's she doing? She doesn't really fit in. He doesn't really fit in. Um, you, know, you may think like, I don't really fit in. That's exactly the kind of person that, that God wants because his dwelling, the dwelling that he's building uh, is not boring. It is not uh, all just one color and one shape. God builds it through diversity and and different kinds of people and people with different kinds of life stories. God builds a dwelling where we are called higher all the time to have his kind of heart. That heart that says like, wow, God, you forgave Paul? I guess, what can I do? I, I guess I have to too. <laughs> How can I do otherwise? Uh, I think that, that for me is the most significant part of the story in how God builds his dwelling is that it's for us as disciples, we will, like Saul sinned against the Christians, we will also sin against each other at some point or another, even if it's just something silly thing we say uh, or an attitude we have towards a brother or sister or we feel a bit frustrated or we will at some point sin against each other to have that heart to say, yeah, I just need to forgive, like I've been forgiven, like God has forgiven Saul, uh, as God is building this dwelling, putting all the pieces together of things that naturally would not have been together through any other way. Then just as an add-on, I think that was just some framing, framing questions for, uh, um, for this passage. I think one thing that I really took out of this 
uh, story is the, the incredible power of a testimony. This story appears three times in Acts. The one year in Acts 9 that we read is like, it's more like the historical narrative as told by Luke. Luke tells the story of this, what happened to Saul. But then in Acts 22, it is where Paul himself tells his story. And he gives this testimony to a rowdy crowd in Jerusalem that wants to stone him. And they want to kill him. The same thing that he was doing to the Christians was now happening to him. And he stands up, and there was a Roman guard there who rescued him. And when he heard that he speaks Aramaic and Hebrew, he's like, oh, uh, can I address the crowd? And the guy said, yes. And he speaks to all these Jews and calms them down by sharing his testimony. And then again in Acts 26, when Paul is a prisoner, <coughs> and he's locked up in, uh, by Felix in, in Caesarea in the prison, a new governor comes along, Festus, and he finds Paul in the prison there. He's like, what's this guy doing here? He finds out what's going on, takes him to King Agrippa, the Jewish king, and he said, what are we going to do with this guy, Paul? And they bring Paul before Agrippa and, uh, and Festus, and Paul gives his testimony. And he tells the story again. And what's interesting, if you read all three of these versions, every time the story is a bit different. And you may think like, hang on, isn't the Bible supposed to be consistent and accurate? And, you know, if the story is told three times, it will be the same all three times? Well, first of all, I think that will be rather boring. You know, if it's, hang on, they've repeated the same text three times. You know, the Bible is thick enough already, you know. <laughs> Can't they just say, please refer back to chapter 9, <laughs> verse 1 to 19, and then carry on? Um, have you ever told a story in your life more than once? Do you, do you tell it the same every time? No, it's like every time it's a bit different. It depends who's listening. It depends why you're telling it, what, who the audience is, what the reason is. And sometimes you, you remember other, other parts of the story. And, and that's what happened with Paul as well. You know, he tells a story to, to the Jews, one context, and he tells it to Agrippa, to the king, and to the Roman governor, a completely different context. But the amazing thing is there's an incredible power in the testimony. After the Jews wanted to stone him, he gives his testimony, and they said, okay, it's fine, let him go. <coughs> he was in prison, he gives his testimony to Agrippa and uh, Festus, and they conclude, like, well, we have no case against this man. And they would have actually released him if he didn't already claim that, no, I want to go to Caesar. So they had to follow the law. They would have let him go. There's an incredible power in a personal testimony. You know, if you go, who of you listen to TED Talks? You know what TED Talks are? Yeah. Okay, so um, quite a few of us know what TED Talks some of the most popular TED Talks are the ones where people tell about their own lives and the things they've accomplished or how their lives have been changed in some way. Why? Because nobody can argue with you about your life. You know, they can argue with about facts and about, oh, no, it's not like this. And, you know, when you try and tell people that God created the earth, it's like, well, you know, what about evolution? And what about this? And what about that? And, you know, what about science? And and the, you know, the Big Bang, et cetera, et cetera, and you, you can argue about facts, but nobody can argue with you about your life. It's your life. You lived it. 
It was like, did you do that? Yes, I did. Really? Yes, I did. And that's the power of a personal testimony. It has incredible impact uh, when, it's a, when it's a powerful testimony. And we see that in other places in the Bible as well. Like, uh, like the woman at the well. When Jesus came to her, and she went back to her town, and she said, come and see this man who told me everything I've ever done. It was such a powerful testimony that the whole town became disciples of Jesus. Because she's like, wow, you know, I, I had seven husbands. Some of them were secret husbands and, and nobody knew about. And this man came and he told me all about them. It's like, really? That's such a powerful testimony. The blind man in John 9. Jesus heals this blind man. The priest and everybody comes like, oh, what happened here? Why, who was this guy who healed you? So Jesus, oh no, Jesus, he's not the Messiah. It's like, well, all I know is I was blind and now I see. You cannot argue with that. Like, in, no, you were not blind. Of course I was blind. You, you know, here's my parents. And the parents say, yes, he was blind from birth. <laughs> like, an, okay. Oh, you can't see now. Well, I see you. I see that. I see that. It's like, well, you did. I was blind and now I see. You cannot argue with that. Therefore, I believe this guy who healed me is Jesus and he is the Messiah. It's very hard to argue with a powerful testimony. As disciples, I think it's important for us to, to have a powerful testimony. And it doesn't have to be 19 verses long like Paul's. It can be something simple, just like, you know, I was transformed from here to there. You can say it in one sentence, like, Paul could have said, I was transformed from being a murderer to a peacemaker. Or I was transformed from a murderer to a lover of people. I think about my own transformation through Christ. I was transformed from being an arrogant, prideful person to be a humble, people-loving person. It's always dangerous to claim yourself to be humble, but it's all, it's all relative, you know, it's all relative. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really put yourself in the spot there if you claim something like that. <clears throat> but, you know, it depends on context. Or I would say, you know what? Before I was a Christian, my, my marriage was heading for a disaster. And then I became a Christian and it saved my marriage to where I'm happily married now for 30 years. Almost 30 years in July. It's a simple story, but it's so powerful when you say, you know what? And it's Jesus who transformed my life. If you're a Christian, I'd like you to take this one thing away today and say, how can I share my testimony in a very short and powerful way? That will help people to see the transforming power of Christ, not just in someone else's life who died 2,000 years ago, but in my life right now where there's nobody who can argue with it. Let's think about that. Let's consider about your story, um, how you can share it, and how you can use that as a way to share the gospel. Because once you start telling that story, then more comes from it. And you can you know, tell them about Jesus, tell them about the Bible. And from there, it's like, and how about you is the next question. You know, How's your life? What, what has happened in your life? Um, so these are some thoughts uh, that I took from, uh, from this story of Saul's transformation. 
from Saul to Paul. Let's remember that uh, God is truly awesome and that we still see that awesomeness around us every day. Let us remember that God loves you. And remember that like with Saul, God can use people with a sinful past to build a loving church. And let's think about being prepared, how we can share our testimony in a powerful way like Saul shared his testimony in a powerful way. Amen.